0: Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book, Nickel and Dimed, on not getting by in America. The author of this book, Barbara Ehrenreich, put aside her money and time to gain personal experience and go undercover as a blue-collar worker to truly reveal working-class life. To those not in the lower class of the United States. What is it like to be poor? If you ask a person who is not poor to imagine what poverty is like, they may say that poverty includes socioeconomic difficulties. However, no matter how poor someone is, life will go on. After all, they may be thinking, poor people are also living a life, just like everyone else. If you find yourself agreeing with this, you might be someone whose socioeconomic status has limited your imagination of poverty. The book Nickel and Dimed, albeit old, illustrates to those who have not lived at or below the poverty line in America what life is like, through the words of the author's experience tasting that life herself. The author of this book is Barbara Ehrenreich, who identifies herself as a feminist, democratic socialist, and political activist passionate about writing on social issues that she sees in the United States. Although she came from a working-class family, she earned a Ph.D. in biology and started a career in writing that eventually lifted her out of working in labor-intensive jobs. She then decided to temporarily leave her life behind in order to subsequently write and better understand how people make a living on minimum wage, unskilled jobs. She originally intended her work to be a simple newspaper column, but the experience was so vast and affected her so much that she turned it into a memoir. Prejudice against the lower class and blue collar workers is more common than one might think. It's all too easy for those in comfortable financial situations to ascribe poverty to laziness and making troubles for themselves, or for being morally lacking because they utilize the governmental welfare systems and a general unwillingness to work hard. Too often, the thought is, if they just work harder, they won't be poor. But Ehrenreich proves to her readers that this sort of thought has no basis in reality. It really is just prejudice and social stigma that shapes these derisive ideas against the poor. From 1998 to 2000 she traveled to Florida, Maine, and Minnesota, working as a waitress, a hotel cleaner, an assistant in a nursing home, and a retail saleswoman. Her goal was not only to truly experience poverty for a long time, but also to see if she could cover her expenses with her income and not be homeless. Next, let's understand the main content of the book in three parts. Part 1. How Poverty Defines the Lives of Working-Class People Part 2. Poverty as a Low-Wage Worker Part 3. Emotional and Physical Difficulties of Working-Class Life Part 1. How Poverty Defines the Lives of Working-Class People Food is one of the most basic needs of human beings. Without food, there is no life. In war-torn, developing and impoverished regions, food scarcity is commonplace, but what about developed nations not ravaged by war and overwhelming poverty? Poverty and hunger are still closely interconnected. Even in wealthy nations like the United States, the poor are still poor, and the hungry are still hungry. When someone is poor, they are more likely to also be hungry, or at least constantly concerned about food costs and availability. Ehrenreich's travels led her to meet several people, often her co-workers, who struggled with this. Ehrenreich began her experiment as a waitress in Florida, then did cleaning in Maine, and ended with retail work in Minnesota. During her time in Maine, almost all her colleagues were working-class white women. Most of them seriously struggled to afford eating one full meal per day. A few of the cleaning ladies, like Ehrenreich, made themselves turkey and cheese sandwiches for lunch every day, but most of her colleagues lived off convenience store snacks or a salvaged bagel pocketed from the company-provided breakfast. Some ate less than that. Rosalie, a colleague of Ehrenreich's who recently graduated from high school, only ate a bag of Dorito chips or even just half a bag. She simply did not have the money to afford more than a small bag of chips. When the job is mostly physical labor, running back and forth vigorously scrubbing people's toilets or carrying the 10-pound vacuum cleaner, such small amounts of caloric intake are almost dangerous. Ehrenreich once asked Rosie why she was running on so little throughout the workday. Rosalie confessed that she often got dizzy. Another colleague, Holly, ate just one peanut butter-filled cracker snack per day, but would give herself over to fantasies of real, filling food by asking the other women what they had had for dinner the night before. For these people, what they eat barely met what they would burn even if they weren't doing physical labor. The cleaning company Ehrenreich was with proudly displayed a poster in their office of the calories burned per minute of different types of work. Dusting for one minute? 3.5 calories. Vacuuming for one minute? 7 calories. Ehrenreich ran the numbers. If they worked seven hours a day, In addition to the body's natural consumption of 900 calories per day, the cleaning ladies needed to eat 2,100 calories of food per day. That's the caloric equivalent of needing to eat four Big Mac hamburgers. Even that fast food, at such an amount, was beyond what they can afford. Even with being paid at the national minimum wage for working eight hours a day, having enough money to afford food is not a reality for many. While conducting her experiment, Ehrenreich was healthy, did not have to take care of any relatives, and did not have outstanding debt. She was, overall, fine, but her coworkers teetered on the edge of homelessness alongside their hunger. Without stable housing, where do poor people live? Well, let's take a look at the situations of some of Reich's colleagues. The first part of her experiment was down in Florida, relatively near where she actually lived and worked outside of this experience. She worked as a waitress in two very different restaurants. The first was Hearthside, a place she describes as an air-conditioned morgue, and the other was Jerry's, a factory that had customers arriving in human waves. At Hearthside Ehrenreich experienced her first waitressing job since she was a teenager and was trained by a middle-aged woman named Gail. On her very first day, Gail tells Ehrenreich about how she had been living out of her truck after her boyfriend was killed while in prison. Living out of her own vehicle meant no bathroom, so she had to pee in a plastic bottle, and no electricity, so she read books by candlelight. But, Gail shared, living in a truck was most difficult during the summer, since the weather was too sweltering to have the windows up, but rolling the windows down meant inviting in mosquitoes and other bugs. After two weeks, Ehrenreich had to quit working at Hearthside and move on to a restaurant called Jerry's in search of higher pay, in order to afford her own housing. There she met George, a recent teenage immigrant from the Czech Republic. George, along with a crowd of other Czech immigrants, shared just one apartment. Space limitations meant he didn't sleep until another co-worker left for their work, thereby opening up a bed for him to lie on. Most of her co-workers did not live in a traditional house. Often they were roommates with strangers, or living on boats, or even camping out in boxcars. An upfront deposit charge on many apartments meant that a lot of low-wage workers paid daily to live in a cheap hotel because they couldn't afford to save up hundreds of dollars. One of Ehrenreich's co-workers in Maine did have a house, but she slept on the couch in her own living room because she shared the small area with her four adult children and three grandchildren. It's not uncommon in America or anywhere else in the world to have several family members share a space in order to save on housing costs. Essential things like food and shelter costs people who have little almost everything they have. The cost of going to the doctor or emergency room is nearly impossible, let alone paying for health insurance to cut costs in the long run. If an unexpected illness or injury happens, many blue-collar workers lose even more of what they don't have. If they need to see a medical professional, they're probably too sick or injured to work, and if they can't work, they can't afford food or housing it's a downward domino effect." Ehrenreich's time in Maine led her to seeing one of these domino effects for herself. Holly, the co-worker who loved to imagine what other people's meals tasted like, had recently discovered she was pregnant. After the team finished cleaning a house, she tripped into a hole on the lawn and broke her ankle with an audible snap. Ehrenreich was distraught, trying to insist they take her to a doctor, but Holly was stubborn, she insisted that even though it really hurt, she couldn't stop working. She had already missed too many days of work this month. Ehrenreich was furious. She was not only angry at Holly, but also at their boss Ted for not insisting that she see a doctor, and at the rest of the cleaning team who said nothing about Holly stopping work, because of her pain. But everyone else except Ehrenreich sees the reality of Holly's situation. If she doesn't work, she doesn't get paid, so she doesn't eat. If she pays to go to the doctor, she can't afford food either. Compared to starving to death, this minor accident is nothing. Minimum wage working class people simply don't have a choice but to push through pain and illness and keep working. This concludes our first part of the bookie, discussing the ways poverty defines the lives of the working class. People in the lower class are engaged in the most physically demanding work and are the ones who need the most calorie replenishment but some of them don't get enough to eat. Alongside exhaustion and hunger, they battle housing insecurity and the constant fear of illness or injury as potential costs as well. On a minimum wage salary, everything is expensive. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.